morning. Join me in prayer, will you? Father, we love your word. We long to love it more because it shows us more of who you are. So I pray, Father, that you would help us to be attentive to your word. I pray that you would speak to us through your word. And I pray that it would not just end here, but that we would carry it with us into the week that you've ordained for us to walk in, that we might live it out with integrity in our homes and before others, that others too might see the wonder of who you are as we reflect your word to them. So guide us as we look at it this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. We have been working our way through the book of Nehemiah, and uh, today we get to chapter 8. I would encourage you to turn to chapter 8 of Nehemiah. We will be starting our Advent series, per se, next Sunday, but I wanted to do one more message uh, in Nehemiah before we got to that. So Nehemiah chapter 8, I believe in the Bibles provided here, that's page 403. So I'd encourage you to take that up. We get here to Nehemiah 8, and we actually find things looking pretty good. The walls around Jerusalem have been built up. There are no breaches. Uh, The gates have doors hung in them so that they can secure the city. The enemies of God's people are discouraged And God's people are united. It kind of looks like they're done, right? And yet we've got a few more chapters ahead of us in Nehemiah before we're done. They came not just to rebuild the walls of the city. They came to reestablish a community that would declare the glory of God. And that sort of community can only be built around the word of God. Nehemiah knew that in reestablishing the community in Jerusalem, the word of God would have to be central. So within days of having completed the wall around the city, Nehemiah arranged for Ezra to come and read the word of God to his people. Verse 2 of chapter 8, if you look at it, says, Ezra the priest brought the law. And we hear those words, uh, he brought the law, and I I wonder, does that sound like good news to you or bad news to you? Uh, Does that kind of bring your mind back to an old Western you might have seen, you know, I'm coming to town and I'm bringing the law, you know? Or you might think in terms of of the Ten Commandments, uh, which to a lot of people seem like bad news. Or you might be thinking of the 613 commandments that the Jews found in the Old Testament, Is that good news or is that bad news? We think about Luther and he contrasted law with gospel. Uh, The law was always bringing the bad news. The gospel brought the good news in the light of it. So when it says Ezra brought the law, is that a good thing? We often think of the law with negative connotations, but to the people of God, this has always been a blessing. Uh, God's law is his self-revelation to us. It is his self-disclosure to us. It is how he tells us about himself. The law of the Lord is the word of God. We looked at Psalm 119 briefly. It's the longest chapter in the Bible, and it is written entirely about the law of God. 
the Word of God. And it uses eight synonyms to describe it. I would encourage you sometime look through Psalm 119. See if you can find all eight. They're there. They're interspersed throughout. And as the Jews came back into their land, they would establish themselves as a people of the book. And that book was the Word of God. Now, when you read through chapter 8, the first time through, uh, it looks like the events there are almost spontaneous. It kind of looks like a flash mob forming around the Word of God. And yet, when you look at it more closely, you find it's anything but that. This was an event described in chapter 8 of great proportion great significance, and it was an event that would require great preparation as well. Why? Because the Word of God is a great thing. And as they started their new beginning in the land, they would want to center their community's existence on the Word of God. Let's just look at some of the evidence in chapter 8 for the preparation that went into this. Uh, This was to happen, you'll see, on the first day of the seventh month. And that was the biggest month of the Jewish year. That would uh, contain the Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of Atonement, the Feast of Booths. All of those would be celebrated in that great month. And for the event to come off, the people would need to be notified and invited that something was going to be happening there in Jerusalem. And not just people in Jerusalem being notified, but people in all of the outlying towns that we've been reading about in Nehemiah as well. Ezra would need to be lined up in order to present the word. A high wooden platform would have to be engineered and built, verse 4. Can you imagine that going up and people walking by saying, hey, what are you building? We're building a platform because we're going to hear the word of God next week. There had to be an excitement going throughout the community. Assignments would have to be made as to who would be involved on the platform in verse 4. Assignments would also have to be made in terms of who would do the follow-up that's described in verses 7 and 8. This is a huge event. There would be a lot of preparation going into it. And all that without cell phones and internet. Pretty good. Pretty good. This was a big deal. Why? Because the Word of God is that important. If we're going to live a life that delights the heart of God, if we are going to live a life that is oriented toward godly priorities, if we are going to be the community of faith that God wants us to be, we need to make the Word of God central ourselves. And it's not just a matter of getting more of it into our heads. Uh, It's a matter of doing a number of things with it. And that's what we want to focus on here this morning. I see in chapter 8 five things that people did with the Word of God here that we can do ourselves. So lucky you, you get a five-point sermon this morning. But they're brief. First thing that we can do with it is we can proclaim it. Proclaim the Word of God. Look at verses 1 through 6. And all the people gathered as one man into the town square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. 
So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood a number of people whose names I'm not going to read right now. All of them very important, but we're going to move on. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, standing on the platform. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. First thing we can do with God's word is to proclaim it. Notice how inclusive that proclamation was. Both men and women, to begin with, that was not typical. Typically, it would be the men who would be taught, and they then were turned to, uh, to pass that along to their families. But this included the men and the women, and beyond that, all who could understand what they heard. So little ones uh, were there who could understand what was being read. The word was proclaimed to everybody who could understand it. Not just the men, not just the adults, but everyone who could understand. Sounds a bit like River Hills. Deuteronomy 6, that we looked at a moment ago, tells parents to teach God's word to their children. That is our responsibility. We welcome them into our worship services here because we want them to come under the authority of God's word. We want them to love God's word we recognize that their understanding to some degree will be related to their age. I kind of look at it as a percentage game. You know, Teddy understands very little this morning of what's being said here, but, but she's in the context of the community of faith here. Uh, a a three-year-old will understand more, but less than a 10-year-old will. That percentage rises as they go along. But follow-up is needed in the home as parents explain what's being said. Proclamation gives you a really good start. It exposes you to God's word and it challenges you to do something about it. One of the things that discourages a lot of preachers is that people don't seem to do much with the word as it's proclaimed. I remember my first sermon series back in seminary a number of years ago. I preached my heart out. Six sermons uh, from various texts in Scripture that dealt with the theme of evangelism. And I fully expected the congregation to put all of it into action. And you know what happened at the end of that series? Nothing happened at the end of that series. I was disappointed. I was a bit astonished, actually. But I came to realize that some people come to church just to hear a sermon without thinking about doing anything with it in particular. I ran across a story a while ago in Our Daily Bread. 
It said this, after a pastor died, his relatives found his many sermon manuscripts neatly tied and filed away. On top of them was a card with this written on it. Where has the influence gone on these sermons I have preached? Kind of a sad question. But they slid that uh, card out and, and looked on the back side of it, and it said this. It was the answer. He had written this, where are last year's sun rays? They have gone into fruits and grain and vegetables to feed mankind. Where are last year's raindrops? Forgotten by most people, of course, but they did their refreshing work and their influence still abides. So too my sermons have gone into lives and made them nobler, more Christ-like, better fitted for heaven. That's encouraging. When you don't see results every week, you know that God's word does not return empty. It accomplishes everything God intends it to. Proclamation is general. It goes out to everyone. It brings us all under the authority of God's word. I'm sure we can all think of times when God moved us through the preaching of his word and his spirit drove it home in our lives. We can influence that action ourselves, though, when we show up expecting to hear from God through his word. Notice in verse 3 it says, And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. I wanted to see what Hebrew word was used for attentive there, and you know what it is? It's the word on. The ears of the people were on the word of God. It means they were paying attention to the Word of God. Our ears need to be on it. Proclamation, then, is, is a part of a greater thing, and that is worship. The people in Nehemiah's time showed that, I think. When Ezra opened the book, all the people stood for it in verse 5. When Ezra blessed the Lord, they all affirmed it by saying, Amen, Amen, and lifting their hands in verse 6. Then they bowed their heads, it said, and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Proclamation is a part of worship. Uh, it isn't all there is to worship. We don't just come to hear a sermon, but good worship centers on the word of God. Proclaim the word in your worship. Second thing that I find in Ezra or in Nehemiah chapter 8 that we can do with the word is to explain it. Explain it. Verses 7 through 12 begins with a number of names that I'm also not going to read. All important, I'm sure, as they stand in the line of faith. But it says also these people helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense or interpretation so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way. Eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to the Lord. 
And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were being declared to them. Explain the word. Sunday's sermon is not intended to be all of the input of the word of God that we get. Proclamation is essential, but there needs to be some explanation and application as well. Some people can do that for themselves. If you've been here as a part of River Hills sitting under the word for a while, I hope that describes you. You dig into the word of God more yourself. But we benefit when we involve others as well, particularly people who can help us avoid error in applying and understanding the word. The men on Nehemiah's right and left would be able to help others understand it and apply it. I try to keep eye contact with you while I'm up here preaching. And it serves a couple purposes. One is it kind of helps keep you with me. Um, If I see you drifting off, uh, I'll zero in on you. And and so if, if your eyes are closing, I'll be looking. But the other thing that it does is is it lets me know if, if I'm getting through. If I just see glazed expressions, I know I've got some explaining to do. And, and yet I can't stop the sermon to deal with every person as they seek to understand God's word and make application to their life. We need another format for that. And that's where teaching comes in. It can give clarity about the word that is proclaimed. It can show implications for us. In Nehemiah 8, 26 trained men circulated in the crowd and helped people to understand the word of God that had been proclaimed. These folks thought of everything, didn't they? It's it's amazing. We, We need to give these folks more credit. They were really sharp spiritually. They planned this thing really well. But note this, all who could understand heard the proclamation, but teachers were still needed to circulate in the crowd to make things clear. Now, what things would need to be made clear? Well, questions about meaning, implications about lifestyle, problems people had in swallowing a part of God's word they hadn't seen or heard before, application to life for this week, those sorts of things. Now, I try my best in proclamation to give you a clear presentation of God's Word that's understandable and applicational, but there's a level of interaction and application I can't get at for each of you from up front here. And for that, I put questions in the program for further thought. Uh, And for that, we've got growth groups that use the same passage I preach on each week, kind of a lecture lab format. You hear the lecture, you go do the lab. Some groups use other studies, but all use the Word of God. And the goal is understanding and applying the Word. I was at Mocha Moment recently and saw a table of men digging into the Word of God. 
Two of them were from River Hills, and one was not. I was so encouraged to see that. Dig into the Word. Invite others to join you as you do. You need to get to where you deal with the Word of God at a level where individual questions can be raised and answered, where individual application can be fleshed out. You need to unpack what the Word of God is saying. Explain the Word. And you'll notice in verse 9, the Word brought conviction. All the people were weeping as they heard the words of the law. But Nehemiah and Ezra and the Levites who taught the word encouraged them to celebrate instead because the joy of the Lord is their strength. And they ended day one rejoicing. Why? Verse 12 tells us why. Because they had understood the words that were declared to them. God's word had been proclaimed and now it had been explained so they could understand it and apply it. And it brought joy. Third thing that we see them doing here in chapter 8 is studying the word. We can study the word. Verse 13. On the second day, the heads of fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. Study the word. Day 2. Heads of families join with Ezra and the priests and the Levites to study the words of the law. And they would then take what they had learned from this time of study and bring it to their families. So it isn't just a matter of coming to the temple and learning there. It needed to go from there into the homes. That's a great plan. Heads of household step up and lead in the word. You know, again, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6 is just so helpful there, where it says in verse 6, these words that I command you today shall be upon your heart. There's the first place, your heart, let it lodge there. And then it says in verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down. And when you rise, you bring God's word into the home. Heads of families needed to be trained in order to do that. As they started a new community, they would need solid grounding in the word of God because you can't take someone where you have not been yourself. And so here's my challenge to us men. Man, are you able to lead your families spiritually? Are you able to lead your families in the Word of God? It's a challenge because we've got some really godly women here. You've got to get up early in the morning to have something to contribute to somebody who's digging deeply into the Word for herself. Are you up to it, men? Are you studying God's Word for yourselves? The priests and the Levites trained those who would reproduce the ministry. The principle is restated in the New Testament in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, where Paul tells Timothy, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. 
you see in that simple verse four generations of the transmission of God's word. Paul to Timothy to faithful men to others. We train those who can reproduce the ministry. And so I'd ask us all, do you have a Paul in your life? Do you have someone who is able to take you further than you've gone yourself? Do you have someone who you're looking to to help train you in God's word, to pour into you? Do you have a Paul? And then do you have a Timothy? Someone that you can do that for. Someone that you can pour into so that person can grow in the word as well. We each need a Paul. We each need a Timothy as well. There's a fourth thing we find here in verses 14 to 17 that we can do with the word, and that is to obey it. Obey the word. Look at verse 14. They found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths, as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square at the water gate and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths. For from the days of Jeshua, son of Nun, to that day, the people of Israel had not done so, and there was very great rejoicing. Obey the word. As they studied the word together, they discovered something in the word that they hadn't been doing. The Feast of Booths. Verse 17 tells us they hadn't observed it since the days of Joshua, son of Nun, the guy who took over after Moses. What do you do when you're studying the Word of God and you find something in it that you have been neglecting? You need to take action to bring your life into conformity with the Word of God. I can picture the scene. You know, they're reading the Word and someone says, Hey, this month is supposed to be the month for the Festival of Booths. We need to build booths. And so all over Judea, booths went up on rooftops in courtyards, in the temple courts, in the public square. This was to be a reminder of the years of wandering in the wilderness, the time when they didn't have good roofs over their head, to remind them of God's graciousness in bringing them into the land that he had promised. It's like sleeping in a tent to be reminded of how good it is to have a roof over your head. And the booths were to be a perpetual remembrance. And you'll notice the people didn't say, well, that's dumb, I'm not going to live in a booth for a week. And they didn't say, I'm too busy to build a booth. And they didn't say, my family wouldn't sleep well in a booth. They found it in the Bible and they went out and did it. Imagine that. And because people took God's word seriously and sought to obey it, people all around them could see that something was different about them. See, the word isn't just for listening to. We need to let it change us. We need to let people see there's something different now. 
One last thing that we find here in chapter 8 that we can do with God's Word, and that is to feast on it. Feast on the Word. All week long, Ezra read from the book of the law of God, verse 18 says. It was the focal point all week long, the Word of God. Then they kept the feast, it says, for seven days. Now, when it says they kept the feast for seven days, after talking about reading the Word of God, do you think that Nehemiah was just talking about food? Or might he mean something more? Seven days of feasting must have been wonderful, but seven days of feasting on food also meant seven days of feasting on the Word of God. It was the central piece of the whole feast. So how's our appetite for the Word of God? Is it easily satisfied? We should be ravenous for it. When you see someone who's not eating, someone who has no appetite, what goes through your mind? Something's not right. Lack of appetite is, is not a sign of health. Something's wrong here. How's your appetite for the Word of God? If it's lacking, how do you develop it? You develop it by developing your love relationship with the author. Before Tina and I were married, we were separated for five months the last five months before our wedding. Uncle Sam had plans for me that did not include Tina. And um, this was before email. This was back when dinosaurs roamed the earth. And every day I would go to a physical mailbox and I would open it and check and see if there was something there from my fiance. And if I got a letter from her, I didn't just kind of glance at it and toss it in the trash. I treasured it. I read it over and over. Why? Because I was in love with its author. Develop your love relationship with the author of Scripture and you'll see your appetite for his word grow as well. Hang out with other people who love him too. Listen to music based on this word that will stir your soul. Eliminate the junk food that other people put into their minds. Crave the pure milk of God's word. Feast on it in various forms. You know, I like hamburgers as much as the next guy, but I wouldn't want to eat one every day. I need other things with, with variety. You don't eat the same food every day. You, you also then need to bring some variety into your feasting on God's word. Read it in different versions, different translations. Listen to it preached as you travel. Uh, read what others have said about it. Feast on the Word of God. Nehemiah knew that the Word of God needed to be a high priority for the people as they established a new pattern of life in their new city of Jerusalem. They would become a people of the book. And in the patterns of life that we establish and develop for ourselves, God's Word needs to be a high priority too. So what priority does it have in your life? Do you stand under its proclamation? Do you plug into further teaching 
of God's Word? Are you in a mentoring relationship with a Paul and a Timothy where you're being trained and training somebody else in God's Word? Are you obeying it, putting it into action? And do you treasure it so that you feast on it yourself? We are a people of the book. I would love it if that were said of me. He's a man of the book. I would love that to be said of my wife, of my daughters, of my grandchildren. People of the book. Do people look at your life and know that you're a person of the book? Do they know by seeing you in action that God's word is that important in your life? That you let it actually shape your life? That is the way to real renewal. Make the word of God that important in your life and you'll see a difference. Not just for a week or two, but a difference that lasts. And maybe more importantly, people around you will see it too and they'll know that you're for real and so is the message that you bring. You'll find some questions for further thought in your program. I hope you'll make use of those as you seek to put God's word into action this week. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, thank you for your word. I pray that our appetite for it would grow daily, that we would treasure it, that we would feast upon it, that we would delight in it, that we would love going deep in it, that we would share it with others as we live it out. All for your glory and for our joy. In Jesus' name, amen.